You're listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I've discovered what you've discovered, that uh, life is not always easy. I grew up just a few minutes from here in Fremont, and we'd sing in high school, it's not an easy road. We are traveling to heaven, for many are the thorns on the way. The course, no, no, it's not an easy road. You uh, live life whatever your age is, whatever grade in school, whatever uh, numbers behind your life. It's, it's always, it's tough. Life's not easy. But I tell you, life is wonderful. One of the reasons why life is not easy is because we have an adversary. He hates you. He's against you. He'll do everything he can to disrupt your life. My Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, very serious, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan immediately goes after God's choice creation, mankind. Doesn't take very long, but he comes and attacks. He's called the serpent, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle. He's called in the Bible adversary. He's called Dave, uh, the devil. He's called the, the, uh, the uh, serpent. He's called the dragon. He's called the wicked one. He's called the evil one. He's called Lucifer. He's called the angel of light. He's called the liar. He's called the deceiver. And he is the tempter. He is subtle. Look what the Bible says. The serpent was more subtle. That's to be shrewd and crafty. Uh, He watches his enemy, you and me. He watches how he might trip us up. He has an arsenal of weapons that he can use against us. The weapon of fear, the weapon of discouragement, the weapon of loneliness. And he'll come at you and he will attempt to derail your life. I, I, I realize that here, here's Adam and Eve. They're in a perfect setting. And yet the devil comes and he tried to trip him up and he did. He can cause, the Bible says, Acts chapter 10, suffering. He can cause death, Hebrews 2, 14. He can uh, can allure us to evil, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He can can, uh, 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 inspire wicked thoughts, John 13. He can blind the morals of mankind, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He can... uh, He can energize false teachers, uh, Jude verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 12 uh, and 2 Peter chapter 1 through 3. And uh, he can energize these false teachers. He can can hinder God's servants, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. And every preacher and every Sunday school teacher, he'll try to hinder your work for God. Uh, he uh, will resist God's service, Zechariah 13, 1. He tries God's people, Luke 22. He is after you, and he's as a roaring lion, walketh about 
seeking whom he may devour. Spurgeon said this, don't forget. And Spurgeon was the pastor of the world in the 1800s, died in 1899. Spurgeon said this, don't forget he is an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he possesses great intellectual powers. He is able to deceive. We must rely, therefore, on someone that is stronger than he. He is a defeated foe, but he will get you. He will, he will find where you're weak and then go after that. He's a subtle. What does he use? In this text, he uses doubt. Hath God said? And tonight I want to come to you on that word doubt because I promise you this, that the devil creates every doubt that you have in your mind. I'll never amount to anything. I'll never have anything in life. I won't get married. I won't have children. Uh, all of God's people are hypocrites. He will create doubt in your mind. I'll never be good looking. I'll never be intelligent. I'll never have a voice. I never will do this. I'll never have a good marriage. I'll never have a good job. I won't have a house. I'll just live poor the rest of my life. He creates doubt. I don't have a friend in this church. I don't have a friend at all. You know I'm pastor in the world's greatest church. And once in a while, when I get in one of these pity moods of myself, I think nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms, big, fat, juicy ones, long, skinny, slimy ones, itsy, bitsy, fuzzy, wuzzy worms. Put on the plate for $2.98 at Jean's Cafe today. That's what we used to sing when I was in high school. Uh, you know, how in the world could someone that, that has been so loved and cared for and prayed for, and, and my wife as well, how could I ever feel like I don't have a friend in this world? And yet there are moments in my weakness that I think, I don't know if I have a friend. So I asked my wife, are you my friend? She doesn't know I'm going through this one. She goes, are you kidding? I'm not your friend. And she'll joke with me about it and we'll have a fun time about it. I said, honey, if I die first, will you get remarried? She goes, oh, why would I want to do that again? So I don't know all about that. But... Um, but I will say this, the devil tries to get us. He's out to defeat you. And I'll use doubt. I wonder if my wife even loves me. I wonder if my husband even thinks about me. I wonder, I wonder if I'll ever be happy in life. Look what it says in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent, that's the devil, was more subtle. He, he was a sneak than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yea, God hath said, hath God said. Now you say, well, how, why did God create the devil? He created as an angel. But he had a free will that he decided, and he took one-third angels with him, demonic powers now, and he, he said, I will be like the Most High. I will exalt my throne. I will, and he had the five I wills in Isaiah. And he promoted himself and he fell from the grace that God had extended to him as a created being. And now he's been on this war path against mankind since creation. God said, the, the, the saint said, hath God said? And Eve should have said, yes, he said it. Yes, he did. 
I think sometimes we don't believe that there should be some prohibitions in life, but there are always prohibitions in life. Uh, when, 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 we say, when it says no, uh, in life, the stop sign says stop. Well, I don't like it. Well, I followed a fellow this week and he didn't like the stoplight. And so every time, and I happened to catch up with him each time, he got to a red light, he just blew through it. The rules don't apply. But guess what? The prohibitions do apply, son. The stop sign applies. When it says stop, you stop. Amen. May I say tonight, in, in marriage, there's prohibitions. You have committed yourself to this one till death do us part. In parenting, there's prohibitions. Children just cannot be left to themselves. A child left to himself, the Bible says, bringeth his mother to shame. There needs to be rules. There needs to be boundaries. And yes, even in church, there needs to be some rules. We have limited rules. But I think about the rules of the Bible. God says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. So what does that mean? Go to church. Well, all churches are hypocritical. Might be, but God still still go to church. Well, preachers are phony. Maybe, I don't know. But may I say this? I believe there's still many men of God that love God and love the book and love the people of God. God says, I want you to go to church. God says this, upon the first day of the week today, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. God instituted giving, financial giving, Tithing. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Then why did God, when he referred to tithing in the New Testament, he said, ye ought to have done these things. You tithe the hue and the, and the mint, and you tithe it all. These things you should have done. Oh, no, tithing did not stop with New Testament grace. We ought to do more under grace than they did under law. But you see, there's rules. Uh, you say, well, what about the, the big push in our churches today? Why can't we drink liquor? Because God says, don't do it. Say, where? God says, we're not to look on the wine. God says, we're not to give the wine. God's word says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. You have never shown, you cannot show me one home where a marriage has been helped through liquor. You can't show me one dad as a drunk that helped his Well, don't get drunk. Wait a minute. I don't know how many beers it takes to get you drunk. I have no idea. But let's say it takes 10. And I only drink one. I'm one-tenth one -tenth drunk. Our kids, when they were growing up in our home, did not deserve a dad that was one-tenth drunk. And God's people, we are, we are on the push. What's so wrong with this? Why cannot, why do we have to go to church? Why do we have to read about it? Why do we have, why don't you start saying, I get to do some of these things? Hath God said? Yes, he did. I'm getting where I'm going. If you're not careful, we'll start piling so many voices that we're confused. We have so many basketball teams around here and, and uh, soccer teams and, and volleyball teams and uh, turkey bowls coming, football team, all these things. But you know what? A, a basketball team needs a coach. And I know our varsity team has five coaches, I think, that work with a 
uh, training, uh, exercise, all these things, different ones, defense, all the different things that they have. But you have a coach. You say, well, I don't like the coach. I think I'm going to play the ball game like I want it. The coach is not going to let you stay in very long. There's some prohibitions. There's some no's in life. God had a no, don't touch that tree. Now, I'm not a horticulturalist, but I understand that, uh, uh, that trees basically have 10 different sources of trees that God made, and then there's offspring off those trees. I'm studying right now, I'm preaching every Wednesday in elementary chapel on trees in the Bible this year. Brother Reimers creates a whole forest of things for us. The almond tree was incredible. He had almond milk there, and he had uh, chocolate almonds and, and all the different, very variety of things. This last week was the redwood tree and the smell of the redwood. And I've enjoyed studying these great trees. There's a tree over here that was, that, that just fell uh, years ago. And the marker says, on this ring here was when Jesus Christ, grace planet earth was born. But that tree was there long before. We just finished the Mount of Olives, the series on Wednesday night. There are olive trees that were there, that are still there today, that 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here, those trees were there. And here's a tree, and God says, you have all these trees, but one belongs to me. Don't touch it. But what do we do? We touch it. How did they get tempted to touch it? Through doubt. Hath God said? Hath God said. You watch how the devil creates doubt. This big thing, Brother Van Dyke, I can't believe it's going on right now, sweeping through our Baptist churches. Well, you, doubt on the Word of God. Doubt on the King. How to transition your church away from the King James to what? So what's, what's better than what's been preserved for us? Just tell me, what's, what's the, better, uh, the, the, the better version of the Bible? We used to have revivals in this country, and since we've had all these versions come, we've not had a revival in America in years, hundreds of years. Why? Because we diluted the Word of God. What's the big deal about just having a Bible say, well, all the these and the thous? Well, what does thee and thou mean? I mean, we're not dumb. You say, well, the words are, I don't understand the words. There's no six syllable words in the Bible. Here's one, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I wonder what that means. It means except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I wonder what this verse meant. Two words, Jesus wept. Well, I'll tell you what that means. I'll tell you what it meant, Jesus wept. Why a mocker? I'll tell you what it means, why a mocker? Strong drink is raging. What does that mean? What's it mean in the Hebrew? It means it's a raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Why do we have to redefine? Because God gave us authority. And Satan comes in. He has doubt on the word of God. He doubts our songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't be bringing this stuff in here. That's contemporary music. We've worked together almost 50 years. 
Contemporary music did not build this church. And don't take contemporary music and try to Bapticostal it. I'm tired of that all around the country. You know, I'm tempted. I'm just tempted. And I thought about this. For the first 90 days of next year, here, here's 600 pages of songs. We've got the silver book. We've got the gold book. We've got the, uh, the other song book. We've got all these songs. I'd just kind of like you to sing out of this book and make a special song out of every one of these songs. All this stuff that is invading our churches, it's putting doubt on hymns and songs and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in our heart to God. Doubt. You don't raise children out of doubt. There needs to be authority. So what does the devil do? The devil looks for opportunities. One, our besetting sin. Our sin. My sin. God says there's there's a besetting sin that all of us have. Your besetting sin might be fear. It might be anger. It might be lust for power. It might be pride. It might be money. It might be this or that. Who knows what it is? It might be my opinionated. I'm going to win every battle. But you have a besetting sin. Lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. You know what the devil does? He says, that's Jack's besetting sin. He can easily get derailed. So I'm going to put opportunities for him to fulfill his besetting sin. It's a battle. Not only does the devil create doubt with our besetting sin, he creates doubt with our slumber. God's word tells us to watch and be watchful. Be serious about this because our adversary is walking around as a roaring lion. We cannot get careless. That's why we read at men's prayer meeting last night, to dress for success, put on the whole armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. When I get up in the morning, I need to dress for success. Well, I'm not talking about a suit and a tie and cufflinks. I'm not talking about shoes that shine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I need to put on the whole armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness. The belt, the girdle of truth. You know, isn't it amazing how that the soldier's entire armament was for the front, not the backside, but the front side. But it all attached to the belt. And God says, the first thing you have to have, because everything else your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. It all attaches to this belt. What is the belt? God says, you gird on your loins with truth. But the average Christian even cannot tell the truth. We lie. We deceive. But if you're not telling the truth all the time, You have fallen trapped to the devil, our our besetting sin, our slumbering sin. You know what else he uses? He uses where we're strong. 
Job was strong. He was the best Christian, if we use the New Testament term, Christian in the East. There's no man like him. And yet the devil came to tempt him, and where he tempted him was where he was strong. He was strong in his prayer life. He was strong in praying for his children and their mates and his grandchildren. He was strong in caring for his fields and lands and, and, and animals. He was very strong. And yet, where did the devil create doubt in his mind? In every one of those areas. Perhaps you're very strong in this area. Be careful. Because that strength, if you're not careful, is going to cause you to fall prey to the devil. That sin, it's a besetting sin, is going to cause you to pray and me to fall prey. Slumbering will cause us to fall prey. You know what else? Sorrows. When a person has sorrows with their health or with their family or with their job, it gets overwhelming and doubt moves in. Nothing will ever be right again. There is no hope. You know what he could use? Next, number five, is your spouse. Job 2.9, Job's wife said, why don't you, you've lost everything. And now there you sit, you've lost your health. We've lost our kids. You've lost your possessions. We've lost our wealth. Why don't you just curse God and die? God was using his wife to put doubt in his mind. And it could have been a vice versa, I know. God, God, God allowed mankind to be tested, but mankind failed. And the devil said, hath God said doubt? I'll never be financially sound. I see no hope in sight. I'll never pastor, and pastors are watching over the world right now. I'll never pastor a, a, a church like whatever it is. Don't let the devil put any doubt in your mind. That doubt that comes to you, whatever the subject is, is not of God. Doubt, God is not the creator of doubt. Here is David, and uh, uh, David, uh, uh, David it was just a little shepherd boy, and he, first, first Samuel 17, he saw and heard this Goliath, a Philistine who defied the armies of God, and he said, I'll go, I'll fight him, and, and Saul said, take my, my spear, and take my sword, and take my shield. He goes, no, I've not proved these things, but I have a sling, and I have these stones. We sang about it when I was in five-year-old kindergarten class in my pastor's garage, only a boy named David, and one little stone went in the air, and the sling went round and round, and he let that thing go, and it landed right here, and Goliath fell, the Philistine. Wait a minute. That's chapter 17. Chapter 27, this man who was young man and fearless with Goliath and a Philistine now has doubt. And David went through trouble. He was having marital problems with his wife. There was some insurrection going on in his life with his men. 
When you get to 27, David said, there's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. Stop right there. The very one that he wanted to go join was the very one he already defeated. Chapter 17, now, he, David said in his heart, your heart is one-third part of your brain. Your brain weighs between two and three pounds. It's shaped like a walnut. It looks on the outside like a walnut, and your heart is the capacity of the real you. And in his heart, you see, doubt always begins in the heart, in the mind. Nobody loves me. This church doesn't care about me. My, my wife doesn't like me. She's always against me. She's a, my husband, he doesn't care. My kids have broken my heart. My parents are not around. There are too many rules. I don't, all that doubt begins in the mind. And David said in his heart, there's nothing better for me to do than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. It starts in the heart, and then he said it. What proceedeth out of the heart mouth has been born in the heart. It proceeds, Matthew 12, 34, out of the heart. And when our heart begins to think, there's never any hope in sight. It'll never it'll be ever good again. It's over. My life is ruined. Everything is wrecked. It starts here, and we begin to think wrong. And then as we think wrong and dwell in love, we begin to speak wrongly. And then he acted. There was an action. And he took 600 men with him. And those men saw their wives and their kids stolen by the enemy while they were gone at Ziglag, and the city was put on fire. All because one man allowed doubt to govern his life. I can't finish Bible college. I won't have the money to finish. I don't have the brains. The devil did that to me in college. By the sophomore year, I, I, I sort of knew that God wanted me to be a pastor, a preacher. But I never took a preacher's class because I knew I wasn't smart enough to pass Hebrew and Greek and hermeneutics and apologetics. I bargained with God, not trying to be bad or wrong or evil, but I said, God, I'll do anything. I stutter, I stammer, I get embarrassed. I get red-faced, I break out in a sweat, I can't do this. God, I'll serve you, I'll do anything. But I cannot pastor, I'm not smart enough to pastor, I'm not this enough. And I know God would speak to me. He's not looking to, and I mean not audible, but he's, uh, his word, he's not looking for uh, the talented. He's looking for that someone would just give in and be available, here my Lord, send me. I graduated from college, never prepared to be a pastor. Why? I had doubts. I doubted God. I became an assistant pastor. I did everything but preach. I could do it, and I could do those things, and God gave me help. I remember when he began to just get so heavy on my heart 50 years ago. I didn't want to be a pastor, really. I wanted to be an assistant pastor. 
I wanted to help a pastor. God and his grace, he orchestrated it all. By his grace, put me right here with my wife. I would have missed it. But God was gracious to me and removed the doubt and said, I'd get so afraid. I'd get, I told you last week, deacons meeting, I'd get sick. I knew on those Thursday nights they were going to fire me once a month. I just knew it. I knew they were going to find out I wasn't as smart as they thought I was and that I didn't know enough of the Bible. I knew it. You asked my wife, she was down there last Sunday night nodding her head, agreeing with me because I'd get sick. Sometimes I would regurgitate. I was so sick. Had four or five deacons. I thought they're going to get rid of me tonight. I know it was a nice night. I'd get so nervous in the business meetings. I'd get nervous at the door thinking someone's going to ask me a Bible question, a deep Bible question. You know, did Adam have a belly button? You've got to be kidding me. I just knew they were going to ask me questions I couldn't answer. They're going to think I'm foolish. You know how I was governed my life by doubt. Doubt. And tonight, if we're not careful, we live by doubt. You watch this week how many times doubt enters your mind. Three words and we're done. How do we conquer doubt? One, faith. Faith, say it together. One, one is what? Faith. Believe God. That's what faith is, just believing God. Just believe that God can. I can't do this and this and change this and this, but God can do anything. It's generally not on my timetable. It's generally not the way that I thought I, I can remember praying for this property, but then giving up on this property because Montague Expressway had no, it was just farmland 50 years ago, just farms. And I began to contact those people by, but I looked right past this. And then I recall when God began to put this on my heart and I'd start at the tennis courts right over there, Brother Brian, where you and your wife found us and came over here. I start praying right there, drive past this front of this. They had no sidewalks and no, but they had this one building over here. And all the way across, and Tabitha, you probably remember as a child, I'd say, Tim, you're up for prayer. He had to pray the whole length of the property. Tabitha had to pray the entire length of the property. My wife, the entire, as we drove by to the stop sign that was there, now a stoplight. And we'd pray, and then we began to, I got permission, we could walk around these six and a quarter acres and just walk around it and pray, oh dear God, would you let us have this property? Would you give us this property? And, and, and you know what happened? We began to believe that God could. God could do anything. God can save your husband. God can restore your marriage. I, and, I, and God can give you grace as well. My husband left. He's married another person. God can give you grace in the adversity of life. Amen. Don't doubt him. Faith. How do you conquer doubt? Through faith. Secondly, through facts. What is that? The Word of God. Amen. Quote this book. Quote, I can do all things through Christ. That strengtheneth me. Quote, 
my God shall supply all your need. Quote, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Quote, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Quote, if God be for us, who can be against us? You watch how doubt enters your life every day this week. Me too. I'm going to fight doubt with faith. I'm going to fight doubt with facts. I'm going to fight doubt by fighting. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He is the creator of doubt. God is not the creator of doubt. He said, God is not the creator of fear, but of power and of might and of a sound mind. Take, take your Bibles as they close, uh, Bibles. Take your psalm book tonight, page 490. Four I'm going to, by the grace of God, have victory over my doubts this week. How? Faith. How? Facts. How? Fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set a campaign against the devil and war against the devil. And I'm going to resist him every time he puts doubt in my mind. And as he puts doubt in my mind, I'm going to answer back by faith and by facts and by fighting. We, if we're not careful, doubt Jesus when we should realize that doubt comes from Satan. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.